Welcome to the Advanced Grass Solutions Turf Hub podcast. AGS is a leading provider of agronomy services, exclusive products, and unrivaled customer support. Underpinned by a well-qualified and experienced team of former sports turf managers. AGS. Supply. Consult. Support. Hello and welcome to the next edition of the AGS Turf Hub podcast. Today we have William Bogarts, the Innovation Manager at Denenk Grown and Golf out in the Netherlands and we're going to be talking about the current and upcoming chemical restrictions within the European Union and how that is affecting turf grass management practices. We'll touch on sustainable practices that are being implemented within Denenk Grown and Golf and how that can affect performance parameters in a positive light. We're also going to be talking about new emerging technologies such as robotics. William, how are you? I'm, uh, I'm really well, uh, Josh. Thank you for having me. Thanks for the introduction so far. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, well, it's my first podcast and I think it's your first podcast as well. It's, that's 100% uh, true. It is my first podcast, so I not really had an idea where this would go for. So I asked you, do I look good? But you said, does it matter? It's only sounds. Uh, I'm looking forward. Good, good, good. Well, f- thank you for joining us today. Um, and, and, and where we'll start really is, um, let's just go into your background. So if you can give me a, uh, a brief background into your greenkeeping history, um, just leading up to what position you are now um, and what, what, what you're doing. Right. Um, I think like I'm, I'm William, I, I say by my first name, I'm William, I work for the Enk. Uh, Groene Golf, as you pronounce as well, uh, Josh. I work for this company already more than 12 and a half years. I think closer, uh, I have to think, 30, 13 and a half, uh, quite a long time. Very happy where I uh, where I am. Uh, as many people, I didn't start in green, greenkeeping, but I have a long history in greenkeeping. I'm 41 years young, and I'm more than 20 years in greenkeeping, and I started my education. I didn't start as a greenkeeper. I was a social worker, but in these days when I was at school, I was already practicing greenkeeping at a at a nine holes golf course on my doorstep, and that's where it all started. I've been uh, 20 years a head greenkeeper on three main courses, and after that, uh, I've been uh, with the Enk. I've been a project manager or an innovation manager as now. I have the responsibility in the Enk for multiple courses in the south and I try to help and support the head greenkeepers and golf courses in their maintenance. Very good, very good. Um, I believe you've travelled to, to the UK as well, you you worked in the UK for a small time in Scotland I believe? Oh, you, you, you've been well informed. Uh, I've been to Scotland in 2017 at St Andrews, I was there for more than four weeks but I worked four weeks at uh, St Andrews and the Castle Course uh, for me, a really great experience, lovely country, uh, and great people as well, and I feel very welcome over there. I'm very open, uh, give me the opportunity to uh, to build a bunker over there, which with that type of bunkers I didn't have the experience, and that was during the Dunhill Cup, and um, yeah, that was two weeks on the old course, one week on the new and Jubilee, and one week uh, on the Castle course with John Wood. Nice. Did you partake in some haggis or a deep fried Mars bar? I tried food wise. I tried everything. I'm very open in trying new things. As a as a person, I really liked it and liking trying new things. But not all the food uh, went really well. But uh, I gave it a chance. <laughs> Good. <laughs> 
Um, so let's just touch on your philosophy in terms of where you began in greenkeeping to what shaped your sort of train of thought towards what where you are now. Good question, uh, Josh. If I really look back more than 20 years when I started greenkeeping, um, that's why you have no idea about the use of chemicals and the quality. And I think the last three years, a lot has changed. For me, it was okay. Sounds really strange, maybe, but it was okay to use chemicals. That was a way of practicing and doing things. So you had your solutions at that day. And through the time and um, getting more knowledge about a lot of things, you start thinking, from, hey, is this the right way? Is this the, the short-term solution is, in general, chemicals, because that's what you know. And I think especially the last, maybe only the last five years, you say, hey, we should do a different approach. And the world around us is also changed. Huh? That's a very negative, and I think that's good. Look into the chemicals of use of chemicals. But if we use it now, it is with a lot more knowledge and know-how uh, why we use it. And you try not to. You try 10 other different things or a different approach before you even start using chemicals. So... Um, I would like to work without, total without chemicals. Um, at the moment, if I look for the, the Dutch model, um, I don't have the answer, uh, definitely not have the answer to all the solutions at the moment. So sometimes I really need to, but if I use it, um, I really say, hey, this is why I use it, and I use it as the minimum as possible, and I use it as uh, in the right way. Nice. So, I mean, let's just develop that a little bit. So it's... So those sustainable practices and how you, how are you managing your turf um, at your various venues that, that you work with um, within Dineng? I think within Dineng, from the sustainable point of view, what is mainly changed is the way of thinking. Uh, first, you, there was always action, reaction. So if we have weeds or certain weeds, we spray. Or if we diseases, we act with spraying. And I think the best way is turn it around, ask yourself the question, why do I have this wheat and why do we get this disease? And if you turn that around, then you find out that you need to take better care of your soil and your grass and your turf. So you try to get that in the best possible condition to avoid that it is getting, getting the weeds or that you get that disease. So you act in front and not afterwards. Yeah, I completely agree. It's it's very in line with our ethos here at AGS in terms of working with the soil biology, um, but also working with that soil biology, but then how does that translate into plant health? Um, it's very interesting how these connections can be made, not just in the UK environment, but definitely on a global scale. Um, but let, let's just touch on, and you can probably update us in terms of, so what are the chemical restrictions currently within the Europe, within Europe and, and especially in Holland? I think, I can't speak for Europe, and it's fine. It's, um, there's a lot of going on in, uh, in Europe at the moment, and I think it is it's good. What the outcome is going to be, I don't know at the current moment. Uh, there are a few frontrunners front runners in, uh, in Europe. I think Denmark is a good example, which I've been very positive when I visit. They're very open about it. Uh, but also in the Netherlands, I think already the last, it's more than five years, I'm thinking back 2016, 2017, where we had uh, certain restrictions. We talk about restrictions, but it's called Green Deal. The Green Deal is not there anymore in the Netherlands. But it really said, hey, it started all in the Netherlands by 
what do we use? So we have a very clear view about what chemicals we use. And I'm, I speak now for the ENC and the golf courses I'm directly uh, related to. That makes it easy. Um, we knew what we, we what we are using because we recorded really well. So we knew where we are and they say, hey, we need to uh, break that down. And I see a, a, a big impact on reduction by, uh, by the use of the chemicals. And I think that led in a really good direction. So do you still have access to herbicides, fungicides, insecticides? Is there, is there limited access? There is a very good, uh, you're getting into the detail and that, that is important. We have got limited access to the, to the, the <coughs> amount of products. If you look, for example, or biggest issue if we talk about diseases, uh, is the dollar spot. That is the main issue and we've got only one chemical allowed out of the top of my mind and only two applications. Um, for weeds, we have uh, a few products available. If we, uh, I hate to talk about products, but um, it's all about what, what, what's in the product if, if you want to use it and we're only allowed to spray 20% of our grass areal in total. So if you have 10 hectares on your fairway, we're only allowed to spray uh, two hectares of that. And if we're talking about golf rough, we're not allowed to spray that. So it is of the total grass, grass area. On the greens, there is only one wheat, and I'm, I can't even pronounce it, not even in Latin, but there's only one wheat in the green. Out of the top of my mind, we're allowed to spray one wheat, but not very often needed, but there's nothing else allowed on the greens for, uh, for weeds. So it is very limited what we are allowed to use. Nice. Well, nice and unnice. It depends your perception. Um, talk to me more about the recording of the chemicals. How, how, how do you? How, how is that now set within Holland? I would say not not too difficult. As soon as you as you want to apply something, you need to record it in your books, and it needs to be open to uh, to everyone. I think the good proactive thing is that there's a lot of golf courses in the Netherlands are taking part of GEO, so they're asking also these numbers. So by law, if they would come. You need to be able to show your numbers. But well, I think these numbers, and that we'll probably get later into this podcast, we get back. I think these numbers that when did you use it, and especially what day did you use it, is maybe going to help us to understand from why, with what type of weather, if you record that data. And if you, I think what the positive side about this, uh, and we come to that later as well, the impact on the quality for the players, uh, impact on your budgets, or did it have impact or no impacts, but if you record it, you know, you only can manage if you measure. So if you want to use less, you need to know where you are. And I think from the first thing what we did with Dollar Spot, we spray all our greens preventively. And in the Netherlands, by law, you first need to notice the disease before you're allowed to spray it. So that also you need to record. And where is the disease starting on, on your golf course? Is that always the same green? I think a lot of greenkeepers will say, yes, I know my golf course. And it's often starting on those greens. Why do we spray all our greens? I see the front runners in the in the head green keepers at the moment not even spray all their greens the first time. They only take the weakest greens out to spray first. And that's why you can also reduce the amount of chemicals that you are using by not applying it to your total surface. Mm -hmm. Completely. I mean that, that is it's it's a very interesting management perspective and 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 what certain strategy strategies have you impl implemented um let's just talk about the green keeping so the golf course environment at, at the moment to try and manage these thresholds like you, you just touched on the recording of the parameters 
Um, mm-hmm. Let's just expand that a little bit more. Okay. I hope I go in the right direction, and if not, Josh, just feel free no, to interrupt you can. me. Um, <laughs> because I think there's two ways i talking about, and there's a lot more, of course, but I try to make it simple. I talk about greens, and I talk about fairways or, or weeds, and I and in general talk about my fairways, because the greens we don't spray, tees you don't see it very often in your approaches as well. It is already to the minimum, which I also want to say, if there is a few weeds, how big is that? problem eh, from playing point of view. Eh? Uh, my perspective, I've lived with a total uh, weed-free golf course, but is that still needed? Eh? We, maybe we can go into that later, but what we do on our fairways is we're going a step ahead. So what we do as, uh, I think we, we came from a period where it was always less, 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 less. And I think we're now in the period that we say, hey, if you want a healthy turf, you need to feed it, you need to aerate it, and you need to maybe top dress certain specific areas and what we do in the end is we scan or soil with the soil scanner and we scan or grass with an optic sensor so we know the biomassa and we know we measure the the biomassa and the healthiness in the way of stress mm-hmm. and we try to we try to add to that so we try to fertilize and not give it a minimum or no fertilizer if you have a certain good growing turf you will find out that there is less diseases and you want to feed it at the right moment. And that is what we do with the Optrix. Eh? We measure that one and we measure also, we measure the stress. And that's more, maybe more interesting for the future. We, we come to that maybe also later. I see an NDRE, I think very interesting possible for greens. And what we find out with the soil scanner, that 75% of the aerial on a fairway, often there is no aeration in the Netherlands soil needed. And 20%, 25% of the other area, aeration by a vetty drain only aeration is not enough to improve the quality the ter- the, the soil uh, quality to improve so probably you need more sand or sand banning or drainage you need to find out where is your problem because if you would spray only the wheat and you don't change anything to your maintenance or the location uh, that is there it will come back so i think we tried with technical solutions the, the scanning of the soil and the grass plant to be a step ahead in that way. What do we do with the with the greens? Uh, and then I, I'm, I'm related all again again to dollar spot. That is here in the Netherlands and I think in in Europe. Not really sure how that is in the UK. Is the biggest problem. You know what I mean? If that gets into your turf, uh, you lose your trueness, um, and that's not what you want. What we try to do is with a weather model, the Ken Smith model, we provide every golf course with a certain widget on the dashboard so they can look, hey, and we try with our model to predict a few days in ahead. And the disease then still will come, but you're more aware and you can act in advance. If you act when you have it there, what I say earlier, you're probably too late. So there are certain things where we now try to look into leaf wetness. If you can reduce that massively or what we often see is by recording of data is, hey, if you start mowing and you start with one mower, by the time you're done, it's always your last greens, the dollar spot is, there's more dollar spot, and often it is in your working order, so maybe when the disease is coming, is it helpful, can you go out with two mowers, or can one person dew brush those greens to press the level uh, down? I think the difference will be not with only one thing, uh, one thing is not going to be the solution, or with two mowers, you need to do multiple things good you know what i mean your water levels the right grass species it's not one thing 
that is the golden answer. So you need to tap all the right boxes and what are your key performance indicators for your location. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. There's, I think we're moving into um, the realm of we're still trying to uh, figure this out in terms of the sustainable future. I think um, there is not just a one label ticks all sort of product. I think it's working holistically and synergistically with your soil, with um, your nutrient applications and and slightly moving away from um, historically green creep and, and turf grass management has been a, a very calendar based application of chemicals. And if you can move towards um, a regimen of actually applying it, the, the nutrition when the turf grass needs it as opposed to let's do it every two weeks. Um, do you use, do you implement in terms of like clip volume? Yeah, clip vol volume is, uh, I've never worked with it personally, mm -hmm. but if I would be physically on a golf course, that's probably the first thing I would start with mm -hmm. because it gives me what I hear from other people and what I see really valuable information because often that you look at it, or it looks good or it's not looking good or it grows really well. You put it to a number, so often you think, hey, it doesn't look too good, but if your clip volume is still there and the right amount of clip volume, eh, there are some interesting articles that say, hey, if you get your dollar spot, you want to increase your clip volume by two or a little bit more that it grows out and all these things that can help you also with disease management to to get your grass in a, in a certain healthy window. And it's not meaning always growing less or growing even too much is also not, not the right way. So hitting with the, the type of your sword on your golf course, you can hit a certain target. And also, it's not only the clip volume, but then it's also your moisture level to say, hey, where do I would like, what is the sweet spot that I make sure that my grass plant is not getting into stress? Stress doesn't mean too less water, but also too much water. And where is your window for your greens? And um, it is not there's not a magic number. And I think we all know that you say, hey, if I'm on 25% with my moisture, I'm good. It all depends on, on your soil type, on your grass, your root lengths. So it's not, it is, I think data and knowing these numbers is first of all for yourself, that you know where to aim for. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I think the more and more we use the, the correct points of data to best manage our plane surfaces, um, Grounds managers and greenkeepers are going to be able to refine that process and be a lot more stringent, um, but still producing um, a high quality surface. And I, I think that we need to touch on um, is that, but definitely in the golf course environment, uh, managing that perception from the golfers, but also we all know the dreaded greens committees. Um, the professionals that play the golf courses that they're that they're normally the biggest critics um but that there are a lot of challenges in our industry but i i firmly do believe that we're on a course that's going to be a lot better for the industry um but how have you managed your performance parameters and then managed that perception within your golf clubs that you work at that's again it's not always easy because mm -hmm. it's a perception and often the perception is about the greens are fast or the greens are not fast or the greens are through or not through and it helps you that through the time that you need to collect your data that you have not only reading for this week for a longer period of time i can say that the playing quality uh, and i've made the mistake personally as a keeper i've waited too long and i've made the mistake that it had a big influence 
and then it was really hard and uh, for myself and I feel, felt really uncomfortable. I've lost a few greens because of dollar spot because I've waited too long or made it the wrong decision and I knew it but I think the data can only help you to understand and often a golfer from the golfer's point of view they have a, an opinion and if you have constantly readings that can help you but also helping yourself to moving the right the right direction if you say hey this is where we are from the sustainable point of view and this is where I would like to go and that's not only playing related data but also sustainable data or data about your sword composition say I am here and if I would like to improve my golf course eh, from the sword composition or infiltration rates that the golf course is more open if you have those readings I it can help you to get a budget from your course committee or your golf course to move a certain direction and if you say I want it better yeah, what do you want better you know what I mean mm -hmm. I think there's nothing wrong about it's in the Netherlands, it's not very common to talk about green speed. And often when you talk to people from the UK, and even when I'm in Portugal, if you would ask me, what is the average green speed in the Netherlands? We're even quite slow. Eh? We say eight, that's an average number. We'll everybody say eight. Mm -hmm. And if I come to the UK, then they say eight, that is slow. And even getting under nine and a half in Portugal, then we really say, no, you're, that's a joke. So it's also, what is the golfer used to? Or what is their opinion? But where are you going for? What is When is your customer happy? And that is in a certain window. And that's if you can hit that, and make sure that you have this data, that if you get up to the point that, that they say, hey, your greens are from playing performances, they are not good, and you say, hey, this is my playing data from the last month. I've measured my stim speed every week or every day, and I, I measured my holding out or I measured my trueness once a week. This is the data telling me, you know, and of course, there will be one or two greens that can be in not a good condition, but yeah, that's not going to be all your rating greens. Yeah, I, I, I think managing that, uh, managing that perception. The UK environment is very, what's the word? They are very uh, high pressured. It's a, it definitely is a high pressure job. The greenkeeper environment, where go, golf course committees and and golfers just in general just want the the highest the, the highest performance they can get. Um, and I think a lot of a course manager job now is, is definitely managing that perception uh, to what they can produce in the back end uh, and what they can physically do. Um, but we, we, we've touched on different elements there. I'd like to just come back to, um, in terms, so you're using data forecasting, you touched on dollar spot. Um, mm -hmm. Are you using any other data forecasting instruments? I'm thinking at the moment uh, data forecasting in the way of where you're aiming for diseases or so like or uh, managing, maintenance what you need to do yeah so managing leaf wetness or or, or wanting to you manage your uh, maintenance schedule in terms of not doing your calendar based uh, maintenance application doing it yeah. towards yeah 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 I know where you sometimes I need so, so certain things already. Uh, so used to it that you not even think about it. What do we use extra? What what I hear now the last few day, day uh, the last period as well is the growth potential yep. in relation to your fertilizer. We talked already about grass clippings, and we see it as well for also as a more as a standard. Is um, we start using uh, the weather station. It mm. is a I think when I did a presentation here in the in the Netherlands and I talked about water with the climate change water use we are very restricted on, the, on water in the Netherlands and I think it is all the golf courses or 
I'm thinking about this. It is all the golf courses, even how small they are, they have a moisture reading mm-hmm. tool because guessing how wet it is. No, we're not guessing, but what we see now is the change. I think the next thing of a tool for a greenkeeper is going to be your weather station. And that's going to tell you the moisture. It has a, has a soil sensor. It will pronounce you the exact temperature. It can help you with your growth potential. It will help you with your leaf wetness and when it hits your leaf wetness. And there is a key difference in it because it, it sounds really strange, but we know for dollar spot, for example, if you know that that leaf wetness is coming one hour earlier or later, can make already significant differences. So all these tools um, are helpful to to do your maintenance. Uh, what I use as a, a personal, what I really like as a, as a tool for um, aeration. I've been brought up in school and I've been very lucky when I was at one golf course. It was a fescue golf course and I was really, um, really happy to work there and I've learned a lot there, but I've also learned a lot from my mistakes. I came from... That was my first 18-holes golf course. I did that at a grow-in. That was after my nine-holes golf course with practice facilities. I went there and I think school was already 10 years ago, but I've been teaching something at school and that's what I was applying. You know what I mean? These greens were good. These greens were in good conditions, good sword composition, good infiltration rates, and still I was aerating, aerating, holocoring, holocoring. And looking back now, um, that was not needed. Well, there was no, I think that if I look back, I had the knowledge or I had the tools to measure it, but I didn't know what to measure, what parameters I needed to go for. Uh, the penetrometer can help, but that's a difficult one. I see always relationship uh, to uh, to your moisture levels. Be key on, uh, key on that. That's what you can measure. But what I gently use, and that is a simple uh, method, there are the theoretical ones with the big rings, but I measure the infiltration rate. Mm-hmm. And I do that in a quick scan with a very small tool. And seeing as this is a podcast, I can't show it. <laughs> but um, yeah, it is really small. It only is going to cost me maximum half an hour. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a very simple plastic thing. But if I know my infiltration rate and I sit in the right window and there is no touch and uh, the grass species are right, I can say, all right, I don't need to uh, holocore or I don't need to um aerate you know i mean it all depends what kind of aeration but if my parameter for the infiltration is good and i know that uh, i don't have a massive amount of, of, of touch otherwise the infiltration rates will probably also be poor i just can say i do nothing but i do nothing with a purpose mm-hmm. and all these things can uh will definitely help to make i think this is a certain way of data that helps you to make the a better decision mm-hmm. no I, I i i think you're definitely onto a winner there in terms of with the law disturbance theory, um, have you seen an increase in the botanical composition on the surface towards more more of the perennial species as opposed to the the poor annual? Yeah, hundred percent. And it, it is so crazy that by doing nothing, you're doing the right thing. But yeah. uh, <laughs> it, it's and it's I'm I'm still uncomfortable. I'm a very uh, I don't know the right English word, but I'm busy and often you want to do something because you think it's good. But if you have the data or the numbers by doing nothing is the right thing, then you can do something different with your time. I think time mm-hmm. is a very, a very important thing. And I think we're lack on people, you know, I mean, lack on qualified greenkeeping and stuff. So if you have limited action, you probably don't see a lot of things. But if you have only a few things you are and you can do the, you can do the right things with it at the right moment, that's about 
precision management of your term is the right thing at the right moment. Mm-hmm. And I think by doing nothing, it helped, uh, especially the finer grasses, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, over the past few years, a lot of the golf courses that I visited just, well, in Europe and in Australia as well when I was there, and also, especially in the UK, um, there is, I have definitely seen a correlation between um, low budget, low manpower in terms of their botanical composition on their surface, where they don't have the massive budget in, in terms of sand, uh, nutrient input, but they're, they have a really good botanical composition of good perennial species. Um, and I'm, I'm not I'm not slating the guys who have a bigger budget, but there's a lot of correlations between if you have a bigger budget, you do have to spend that money. Um, and there's also an, an issue, well, not an issue in the UK, but um, greenkeepers and groundsmen, they have to look like they're doing, uh, doing something. And sometimes they can do too much at detriment to that playing surface. Um, be it, let's say, in the golf environment, you'll do an aeration um, process in the spring when the poor headed seed with the, like the poor headed seeding and you're just getting you just that seed head's just going to drop down or in the football environment we see where um, people are putting on a bit more water or they're managing the surface during a stress period when they actually need to lean off it and it's going to increase that stress so that inertia is it's it, it is an issue in the industry where people have to look like they're doing something or um, they have to do something and th- there was once one of my mentors and one of my greenkeepers he actually said um, and I'll always remember it I've he goes sometimes it's better just to sit back and just and just watch what happens because sometimes you can be throwing on the chemicals throwing on this and you actually get into a worse situation where you were let's say seven days ago and I think that's the way I, I, agree, I, I agree and I can speak for the golf courses for the Yank, what's often happened that if you have a lot of people, you want to do something. And it's also funny that, or it's not even funny that on a bigger staff or people that have a little bit more time, I don't have time to collect the data. And uh, with the smaller, smaller staffed uh, golf courses, they take the data, make that data helping them to get less stressed by knowing what to do or making the right, yeah. right decision. And it is crazy to see that uh, how they work and I think if you have a smaller budget uh, you can only spend it once eh? so first time right is very important to, the, to those people mm-hmm. yeah I, 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 I have seen that on my travels over the last few years um, and, and normally with the guys with a smaller budget the only thing that they're going to be improving is the greens um, so you, you'll see immaculate um, really pure fescue plane surfaces um, out, out, from f- from that sort of management process. Um, so I, so we've talked... Maybe to, I can... Yeah, yeah, go on. Josh, maybe I can add something, something onto that. Uh, it's a certain circle you come into, I think, and we're, I think luckily golf maintenance-wise, we, we've moved away from that direction, but there it was often there's a lot of, eh, like there was fertilizing, we get the triple mow, we start mowing more, we had the television, we had certain uh, better, in, in the past when it was raining heavily, we didn't play, but we had really good Gore-Tex clothing. So we're in a certain circle of negative and we keep that wheel going and going. And I think we're moving away from that. Mm-hmm. I think is a really positive uh, way by 
looking more to nature. Yeah, no, I I I, I love that analogy. Um, it's and essentially it's a, it's it's a closed loop circle that's positive for not just um, the golf course but the environment, and then in the back end us in general because we're not applying chemicals that are getting leached into water sources, etc., etc. Um, so what we've took we've touched on the golf market. Um, I know Deneng do operate in, in, in the football environment as well. So what, what takeaways have you taken from the golf environment to the football or vice versa? Ooh. Uh, it, it is indeed both directions. I think when I spoke about the scanning of the soil and the, and the grass, mm-hmm. we started with that. The first trials were in, um, were in golf, but we adapted a lot more in the, in the football. And, and I'm talking about the Johan Cruyff Arena. Uh, we apply, for example, the sensing every week. But there is a big difference uh, between golf and uh, football. In golf, that's the, the way the the grass is beaten up all the time. You have a lot more growth. So measuring the NDVI makes also more sense to me. And they measure that everything because they want to hit a certain volume, you know, for recovery of the grass. And I think on a fairway, it also get damaged, but not as bad. We want more also on a green. We want recovery. We're not really looking for a big growth. That's the last thing what you want. You know what I mean? That's slowing down your green. So you want a certain minimum amount of growth to hit your numbers. What we're using also in the football pitches is that we measure the stress. And I think therefore also is still a big chance um, to do to use that because measuring stress, if we can measure that in a plant, that's very interesting. Because often, often by the human eye we can't see. What I do see is that um, a lot of, and I don't know how it is in the UK, so I speak in general, really mm-hmm. for the nouns, you see a lot of greenkeepers moving with their older experiences from water, from fertilizing, from uh, certain aeration practices into, into football. And um, so it is helping both ways, but it is also it are two different worlds almost, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm every time when I get there, I am amazed. And sometimes we make a laugh, it's only 8,000 uh, square meter, but it is a total different uh, approach, different budgets with a bit with a big leak. If we're talking about uh, those things, I see because I think we do four main football stadiums and they have a certain challenge that is on the on the bigger ones, there's Champions League, there is money involved. Um, it needs to be good the playing surface you know what I mean there's too much going around and their main issue is diseases and we're up north and we only do that in the north it's a small country it may be even a bit stranger to say up north because it's only two hours but we call it up north I think we do there are almost 400 football pitches outside and there is not the disease that is the problem it's more the weeds that are a problem because it is under a, a big difference kind of no stress almost compared to the football stadium uh, and it is in an outdoor uh, environment where the football stadiums are indoor and there is a big big example uh, that you can see that nature is there for a reason all the nature elements outside are there and then you see we deal with weeds a little bit and if you see indoor there is no natural light there is no wind we're missing a very key elements and that's why also you must think about what nature provides us and we try to do those things in the stadiums, but yeah, we're not always hitting uh, the right window. I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, in, 
so, so the main issues we have in the stadium environment, um, especially in the south of the UK, are um, grey leaf spot um, and definitely nematodes um, as well. Um, do, do, you, do you have similar issues with grey leaf and nematodes in, in that stadium environment? Yes, and again, what I said, I'm not really involved in the football stadiums, but it is the grey leaf spot is something that I've heard literally the last year. And on golf courses, I don't hear that at all. So um, mm-hmm. if that is only here in the Netherlands or in the UK, I don't know. So that is, but boating the nematodes is something I've seen in golf courses a, a little bit longer. And it's something also, but not, it's only the last few years we start measuring the nematodes. We have one green and it didn't want to grow and think, what is wrong? And then you take those numbers and even the numbers, uh, even now they will probably say not enough to me because I think there is the most thing to learn is the soil the soil food web and anything that happens down there at the moment is almost a big black box mm-hmm. where a big a lot of opportunities are there and where there is more to learn but we have one green at one golf course and I didn't want to go and it was completely uh, in the wrong direction and uh, I hear more the problems with nematodes and green leaf spot definitely on the football pitches but it is something from the last years mm-hmm. yeah I, I mean we've <laughs> At AGS, we've we've got a lot of guys that have got issues with nematodes uh, and grey leaf in and around London specifically and down on the south coast. Um, but the nematodes, we, we do have some um, good products within our product range that will work in a synergistic manner with the nematodes. I, th- I think um, there are other products on the market that would say they're taking out nematodes or um, they're getting rid of nematodes, but... We, we do have some data that will come to fruition um, next year in terms of if you if you do have good beneficial levels, you might still have high levels of nematodes, but you've got no visual damage on the plane surface. Um, and just going back to what you said, um, that soil biology is a complete black box of, of how we can reset our thinking in terms of turf management. Um, I think what you just said then is, Yes, we, we, we know so little. Um, I don't think we'll ever know the full extent of all uh, the different microbiology, um, all the different fungi, the bacteria within the soil, but it's we, we, we are coming to some assumptions in our analysis here in the UK with some of the products that we use to, to, yeah, to work in a synergistic manner with the soil profile to help it, help your soil, but also help your turf grass health so I also know that you work um, in conjunction with another company called Turftronic. Um, could you could you perhaps touch on on um, that emerging? Josh, yeah, yeah, sure. Josh, I don't want to uh, be unpolite or what I want to add to this. Show, yeah, sure. Please uh, add, thing, please add if I've missed. Because that is it has a lot of interest to me um, because I like new things. Uh, and new things in a in a good way because I think there is a lot to learn and I I don't know a lot about it. Mm-hmm. But I've done things in the past and I've tried because I was really saying yeah this is the direction I would like to go and I've made mistakes there as well. And I'm quite open also to speak about that because you want a certain balance in your soil and what is this balance and does this fit with your soil type? So I added also some uh, products. Uh, trichodermas and certain nematodes and to mm-hmm. get the, the right thing and I also measured that but it didn't stay alive and that has mainly to do I really believe that there are solutions that can help you the right direction 
to make sure it will help you with the diseases if you get the right things there. But I've made the mistake that there was crazy enough, there was no food for these things, you know what I mean? So if they live in an environment they can't survive, they were dying. So I think that there is a lot for a lot of people to understand and to learn that will help you to maintain your golf course in a more sustainable way with yeah, with less chemicals. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I, it's, from what the research we're doing with some stadiums around London um, and golf courses as well, I, I, I'm predominantly let's take nematodes. Um, it's a lot more nuanced than just putting down uh, a microorganism product. There needs to be a few parameters that need to be co co-aligning or coexisting to aid to to aid the microorganisms within the soil profile. So you touched on um, a food source for them. Uh, predominantly, that they will eat on a carbon source. Um, but the other parameters that need to be in a line is um, the soil temperature, um, soil moisture, and also the soil pH needs to be needs to be coalescent essentially. Um, and it will be different the soil moisture um, for different surfaces. Um, definitely in the golf and the football environment. Um, the football environment, I would say. They they are creating situations now where they can grow grass pretty much all year round, um, be it through using lights, through using fans for air movement, but also um, uh, increasing soil temperature as well through underfloor under heating. Um, so essentially, you can have an active microbial activity might be de a little bit decreased in the winter. But you might you're still going to have some sort of activity, um, but it's not it, it's it's not as just simple. Yes, you can put down those microbial products, but to have the soil temperature, moisture, and pH in in a coalescent kind of um, at the right thresholds um, is probably the best way of saying it. Um, and like you say, you're measuring the soil moisture anyway. You can you can you can get a pH reading on it any soil test um, and the soil temp you can just you can just put a, a thermometer in the ground and see what your soil temperature is um, but we definitely see during the summer environment they'll actually will decrease during a really hot summer um, and if you don't add the moisture to that they will decrease in in activity because there's a certain temperature threshold where they will just they'll just stop basically but then in the back end of that you've got you've got to feed the You've got to feed the microorganisms, it be it a, a seaweed or a molasses product um, or an amino product. Uh, there's, there's plenty of variations or, or an organic fertilizer, for instance. Um, but I think I think going back to where we've just what we've all talked through, really, it's it's moving away from reaching for that chemical environment, doing the good agronomic practices in uh, initially, and then building your way up to or I've got to use a biological product just to increase my uh, microbial beneficial content, etc., etc. But if you're doing the good agronomic practices, I mean, you're half the battle, really. Yeah, I think you you we're talking about that pyramid. Yeah, right? you need to have your foundations right, and we're going up in the pyramid. And the absolute last one, <laughs> the absolute last one, should be chemicals. And I hope that we come up to a point that we say it is 
not needed anymore. That's the absolutely mm-hmm. thing you, you need to aim for, mm-hmm. in my opinion. If you're not aiming for zero, then you're never going to get uh, the right direction or as good. I think the step before that is the biological treatments. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, a point where in the next few years we're going to see a lot of things happening. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I'm seeing a lot of companies producing a lot of good data now, especially with the um, legislating, legislative changes, not just to, um, not just to pesticides or fungicides, herbicides, but also to biostimulants. Um, that th- there is there is regulation coming there as well. Um, is, is there anything you you think we've missed in that bit? It's quite a big a good block that we've added there. <laughs> in in terms of your when we touched on performance parameters, so you're taking the stim readings, um, possibly Clegg Hammer as well in terms of surface firmness as well. Um, I mean, so let's just touch on the turf tronic in terms of that emerging technology and what you see it helping and assisting in 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 either the football or the golf environment turf tronic um i don't know if everybody know what turf tronic uh, uh, is maybe that helps if i make a little bit uh, yeah. turf tronic is not not Give an introduction. Uh, yeah a small introduction it is a company where the ink works really well with and we use a lot of now that's also a product the product very simple is robots we work uh, with them a lot for us, I think there are key things if we would make a SWOT for myself and I see my uh, the things that are happening. Uh, it's the climate. Yeah, we've not talked about the climate or a little bit we add to that. It is the, the restrictions on the on chemicals. But I think my main issue is staff, qualified staff. Mm-hmm. And I think at uh, the last few years, and I think the f- it's not the last few years, it's already so common of all practice using robot mowers and then specifically fairway robot mowers it is except one and i always have to say it that is we we do more than 20 or 25 golf courses in total maintenance and every 18 holes golf course has a fairway robot mower and yeah it's it's the standard we don't even consider it if there is a new golf course and even now the nine holes golf courses we have a fairway robot mower at the moment we have a few rough robot mowers uh, starting to come in and I think in 2013 we even had a GPS we started with fairways and in 2013 we had a GPS greens mower and that was a little bit more difficult to uh, to work with in the effect of tipping the boxes getting the flag out so you, you find out that we lower that but at the moment stuff is that difficult that we even find out that these robots are getting used uh, we start using them again and technology also improved uh, improved a lot eh? so there is a 3d camera on it it, uh, it's more optimal way of uh, of routings we find out that when we use the robot we use a lot less or a lot less 10 percent less petrol in it and um i think a lot of greenkeepers in the in the netherlands more than 50 percent of the uh, total grass area on fairway is caught by a robot mower mm-hmm. uh, in these days so it is not only in the ank it is a standard that is being used and in the first period the greenkeepers found it really negative and it is a nice job and it is uh, why is this going and I think pretty soon in um, in, a, in a quick period people find out it is we started this all with the increase of quality 
mm-hmm. and that's what it does. And um, now you see mainly we started that with quality and not about costs. It was purely about the quality, the the striping, getting it uh, getting it right. Mm-hmm. And now you see that a lot of people asking for it have have interest in it because because of the stuff. Mm-hmm. Are you seeing a reduction in disease incidence as well from removing leaf wetness at certain times of day or? Um, then we need to go up to the greens and that's the difficult thing about uh, the podcast but I will try to explain it visually where we are working uh, working with we mowing in general the greens we're not mowing at the moment with a robot mower Mm -hmm. but taking that leaf wetness away with all we have the information and you can go out earlier with a certain robot mower especially if it's going to be on a battery base eh, because otherwise you sit with the sound nature rest also at night so it is a very complex thing we, we can always have a another podcast around robots on the golf course and uh, what is technically there's a lot possible already there are a few golf courses uh, in the ANC uh, if you talk about the Solancer they do the greens you have a teaching play for the aprons they have a fairway and they have a rough mower and there is one person that jump starts them in the morning uh, I, I think and we all, we all know that that leaf wetness in the morning is a key thing for uh, for the solution um, on fairways we don't have disease problems and that is the main thing we do mowing our robots automatic or mowing the fairways automatically but we don't really have a disease problem over there and um, for the greens what I already said that's a little bit difficult if we would go to football and especially the stadiums I've got no GPS mm-hmm. yeah there. so that is an issue uh, uh, by using it there and I think as well and then we're looking to the financial part of you if I do it on a on the fairways I've got one mower that goes around on 10 hectares of fairway two three four times a week if we're talking about a football stadium then it's only 8,000 square meters so yeah and maybe you're cutting that a little bit more um, and I don't even know uh, exactly the numbers but then yeah it is about the same investment but on a very on a, on a smaller on a smaller area Mm-hmm. So I think with uh, where we thought that the greens was a good decision in 2013, the low fruit or the easiest, we call it low fruit, I don't know if it's a saying in the, in the UK, but your quick win was the fairways. Mm-hmm. So that is now, if we would start on a new golf course, always in communication with the club, with the members, with many things. Uh, communication seems to be so easy, but it's very often hard. And it starts with, so if somebody really doesn't want it, which we have one golf course at the moment, um, you need to accept that decision and for the rest we go open into it and a lot of people also come to the ANC and say hey um, the interest is because we are doing uh, new things new technology that is with the robots with the soil sensing with our dashboard with the green viewer with the platform it is combining all the things that all the people don't know how but they see that it's going to help us or also help them to move forward in the future I think I think that's a, a great way you've nearly tied it up, and, po- and possibly the last question I would ask you is: um, How are you preparing your team for for the potential impacts to climate change over the next decade? How how are you training your team in terms of this is the goal forward? Let's let's ascertain the this goal, but what steps are you putting into place so that whole team at Denent can align to those ethoses and goals to try and push to that to, to that goal as a sustainable future or greener future i think the head greenkeeper himself needs to be still passionate and motivated you know what i mean that is and we try to to get a certain environment where people feel free 
and it is you provide them with certain things but it needs to be also in your heart I think that's what it's uh, if it's not there I can I can make these things happening what we do as as the Inc is provide them with the platform so I give them the app to put in the data we give them the green viewer we give them that platform to fill in and registrate uh, all, all the information and the square meters, but they need to use it. So I try to make it as easy as possible. Uh, they get a robot, but then if I look to talk about what's the goofing also about this robot, I worked in 2015, 2016 with a team that was quite on edge as well, but this robot is so simple that the whole team can use it. And uh, that's the interface of this machine. Everybody can use it. If one man only can use it, and this person is not sick or, or is not there, and the robot is st standing still because he saw something, then the closest person needs to put it on when you get a text message. So we try to provide them, and what we've done as well, next week we have a meeting for our headroom keepers where we can come all together. We have some interesting speakers uh, talking about the subjects. Um, now, for me as well, in the region of the South, I, I'm there. Uh, to help as well and talk about and what we had for our head keepers and uh, that's going to happen also with the new subjects uh, i think there's a there is absolutely you need school you need education but what we find out is that in the netherlands for the green keepers they're not tapping all the boxes for example work with a robot it is a standard practice in the netherlands it's not at school at the moment yeah um clip volume um at the education in the netherlands uh, it's not there mm -hmm. it's not being teached and it is very, so I think at school, they need to provide also certain information. What we had, we had a certain uh, course for all headroom keepers. That is, uh, we do that every, I'm thinking we have now done the manager green and we've done the precision management. Nice. So we sit down with uh, with school, with, with, with greenkeeping school or with arch culture school and say, hey, uh, we think in eight or 12 lessons, these are the topics we need to uh, educate all greenkeepers a little bit more or extra because we need to provide them with that knowledge gap at the moment but it's also um, also yourself you need to be motivated as well so you can provide everybody with all the information and all the gadgets and all the tools but you need to do it yourself William it's been a fantastic podcast uh, thank you very much for your time today uh, but if we could just end the podcast on a philosophical note if you have three go-to sayings that you try to try to live by, but will propone to make the listeners' day a little bit happier and more cheerful, because I think we all need some cheer out there nowadays. There is a few, and maybe we've we've had a few a few quotes, maybe. Um, and I think we all know Darwin. Eh? It's about change. Eh? Adaptive to change is a very important thing. We live in a an environment that is changing a lot. The climate, the rules, simple. The other one I already managed and then I'm going up to my last one. The other one I already probably say is if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. And the last one, uh, a very open one, what I've learned at uh, my last school and it had nothing to do with greenkeeping, but learn fast, fill faster. So because you can learn a lot from your mistakes, so be open and try new things. William, thank you very much for your time. It's a perfect note to end on. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to Advanced Grass Solutions Turf Hub Podcast. For more information, visit advancedgrass.com or follow us on socials using the handle at advancedgrass.